0: 48K
1: News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Robert Kemp. Tonight's headlines. The Justice Secretary insists giving the Chief Executive the power to appoint judges to handle national security cases won't affect judicial independence. The Hong Kong Sanatorium and Hospital is the biggest recipient in the government's job protection scheme so far. And there are at least 30 more imported COVID-19 cases. Debate is heating up over the chief executive's power to choose judges to hear national security cases in future. Justice Secretary Teresa Cheng believes the CE will come up with a list of judges who can handle national security cases in different levels of the court, instead of naming judges for each individual case. And she's played down fears the city's judicial independence would take a blow as a result. New People's Party chairwoman and executive councillor Regina Ip also says there's nothing wrong with the CE appointing judges to handle national security cases. Mrs Ip says the executive already has a say over some parts of the judicial system.
2: The appointment of the most senior judges in Hong Kong under the basic law is already for the chief executive to nominate. Uh, this is similar to arrangements in the U.S., for example. Secondly, as to the assignment of judges, I'm sure the chief executive will take into the advice of the uh, Secretary for Justice.
1: Critics pounds, China analyst Mark O'Neill says allowing the CE to appoint judges to hear national security cases undermines judicial independence. In Hong Kong since 1997,
3: it's the chief justice or the judges that decide who's going to try cases. Now, um, Carrie Lam, who will, who will appoint the judges for these cases, she's not a disinterested party. She's part of the executive that is carrying out the prosecution against the people. So for her to appoint judges is, is against the spirit of judicial independence.
1: Basic Law Committee member Albert Chen says Beijing's national security law for Hong Kong looks likely to be rather mild. He says it shows respect for one country, two systems, Hong Kong's rule of law, human rights protections and the judiciary. Maggie Ho, with that story.
4: Mr Chen says in a media article that he believes the new law will clearly spell out the relevant national security offences to make sure there's a deterrent against such crimes. What's known about it so far suggests it's going to be a rather mild piece of legislation, with the offences covered quite narrow, he says, and it won't undermine Hong Kong's exchanges with the outside world. The legal scholar says the law will establish a new system and will send a very important message that as long as the bottom line of one country holds, Hong Kong, as one of the two systems, will have indefinite room for further development. Those who see Hong Kong as their home, especially young people, will be able to have confidence and hope in the future, he says. On Saturday, Xinhua News Agency reported some details of the draft law, including that the chief executive will be given the power to appoint serving or former magistrates and judges to handle national security cases. While critics say this will destroy the city's judicial independence, Mr. Chen says the CE could always seek advice from judicial officers.
1: A private hospital is the biggest recipient in the first round of wage subsidies to help local Jobs they provide survive the coronavirus pandemic, Candice Wong reports.
0: A total of $4.8 billion of public money is being dished out in the first round of the employment support scheme to some 25,000 businesses covering 200,000 employees. The Hong Kong Sanatorium and Hospital gets almost $86 million, the highest amount, followed by $47 million for fashion company IT Apparel and $33 million for Hong Kong Television Network. The thousands of other firms cashing in are from various sectors including aviation, catering, retail and media. In total, the government has earmarked $80 billion for the scheme with another round of subsidies coming in September. The money is capped at $9,000 per worker for up to six months and firms must agree not to lay any stuff off.
1: Hong Kong has recorded its biggest daily increase in the number of COVID-19 cases for over two months, with 13 more people testing positive. 29 new patients travelled to the city from Pakistan, one from the Philippines. Most of them are asymptomatic and taken to hospital from a quarantine centre. The latest cases take the total number of infections reporting here to 1,161. And sources said this evening, 16 more people who flew from Pakistan to Hong Kong now tested positive in preliminary tests. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is 5 minutes past 11. More now on the national security saga. LegCo President Andrew Leung says he used a weekend meeting with Beijing's top official on Hong Kong affairs to pass on lawmakers' views about the new law for the SAR. But he declined to reveal any more about his talks with Xiao Long, the director of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office. Mr. leng says he believes the office will continue to listen to various opinions on the legislation.
3: I also reflected the legal member, different parties have expressed different views and their views are widely publicized in various media. And I'm sure the Hong Kong Macau office will continue to listen to various views on the national security law.
1: Democratic Party lawmaker James To is urging the LegCo president to disclose exactly what was said at the meeting. Because he deliberately suppressed the discussion, debate and question time in LegCo for several weeks.
5: However, when he was invited to the meeting, he was in- invited as the president of LegCo, not Mr. Leung Kuan Yin. No, he's not in any sense a private capacity.
1: A plan to charge people to throw away their rubbish won't be implemented anytime soon, despite years of discussions. Lawmakers stopped work on an amendment bill that would introduce a municipal solid waste charge, saying they wouldn't have enough time to pass legislation before the end of the current legislature term next month. The executive director of Greeners Action, Angus Ho, says both the government and lawmakers deserve blame for a lack of progress.
3: All these kinds of environmental bills is always thinking by some political parties it is affecting their voter and so that they always will be to slow down this kind of movement or the environmental movements. So I think political parties and also logical members also have a lot of responsibilities for the futures environment being degraded.
1: The lack of a tailor-made Chinese language curriculum that meets the needs of ethnic minority youth is said to have hurt their job prospects after they leave school. That's according to Research commissioned by the Equal Opportunities Commission. Dr. Simon Chan teaches in the Baptist University's Department of Social Work. Right now, the training is elementary, and there is false hope as well. That means that those EM teenagers may feel that, okay, they can pass, they can manage, but when they, you know, up to the occupational level,
3: I mean transition to their career, they find it, come on, I can read it. Therefore,
1: when we say TME, we try to, you know, build up the level of Chinese language training that is up to the occupational requirement. EOC says there also needs to be a mindset change among businesses to encourage them to hire ethnic minorities. U.S. President Donald Trump says he held off imposing tougher sanctions on Beijing officials responsible for a crackdown on Uyghur Muslims because he wanted to seal a trade deal. His comments come after former National Security Advisor John Bolton said in his new book that Mr. Trump encouraged President Xi Jinping to go ahead with building camps in Xinjiang. The United Nations estimates that a million people are being held in the camps. Beijing insists they are vocational training centres. South Korea has said the memoirs of John Bolton are distorted. Seoul was responding to revelations made in a book due out tomorrow. The White House tried to stop its publication. That story from the BBC's Laura Baker.
4: John Bolton criticised President Moon's administration in Seoul for pushing an agenda of diplomacy with North Korea, which he described as a fantasy. He said the whole diplomatic fandango was South Korea's creation. However, he also claimed that Mr Trump wanted a summit with Kim Jong-un at any price because it would be great theatre and an exercise in publicity. Chongi Young, the chief of national security in Seoul, said the book did not reflect the exact facts and that his one-sided disclosure violated the basic principles of diplomacy.
1: Afghan government officials have described last week as the deadliest in 19 years for the security forces, saying the Taliban had killed almost 300 of them. The Taliban spokesman called it propaganda to disrupt the peace process. The BBC's Sukunda Kamani reports. The Afghan government has accused the Taliban of increasing attacks in the past few weeks, despite having agreed to an unofficial reduction in violence last month. Casualty figures are difficult to verify in the country, but thousands of members of the security forces and civilians are killed every year. The Taliban and United States signed an agreement in February aimed at beginning to bring an end to the conflict. The next stage in the process is meant to be direct talks between the militants and the Afghan government about the political future of the country. They have been delayed by a dispute over a prisoner exchange plan, though progress seems to have been made in the last month. A minute of silence has been held in the British town of Reading in honour of three people stabbed to death on Saturday. Police are treating the attack as a terrorist incident. Three others were seriously injured in the stabbing in a park. This UC's John McManus reports.
5: Police are continuing to question 25-year-old Harry Sadala, a Libyan asylum seeker who lived in Reading over the stabbing attacks that took place on Saturday. Although he was known to the security services, Mr Sadala was not considered by MI5 to be a genuine risk or immediate threat. Detectives are now examining his background as well as any forensic evidence from the scene of the crime.
1: Turning now to COVID-19, the World Health Organization has recorded the biggest one-day increase in coronavirus infections, most of them in the Americas. The United States remains the worst affected country, followed by Brazil, which has now recorded more than 50,000 deaths, as BBC's Katie Watson reports from Sao Paulo.
0: Not even these numbers are prompting the president to change course. Jair Bolsonaro says little about those who've lost their lives. Instead, he keeps repeating the message that Brazil cannot stop. The economy should reopen and the country needs to return to normality. Brazil is in the middle of this crisis and so many people here feel they're lacking a leader to get through it. All the while, the numbers keep going up and up.
1: Live opera in front of an audience is returning to the UK for the first time since lockdown at annual Glyndebourne Opera Festival. A production of Offenbach's Mesdames de halle this August will be staged outdoor. As the BBC's Rebecca Jones reports, it's a taste of what cultural life may be like for some time to come.
6: The London Philharmonic Orchestra won't sound quite as full-throated as this. The number of musicians will be reduced from 40 to 13. Madame de Halle is a one-act opera, a farce set in a Parisian vegetable market. It'll be performed with 12 singers but no chorus. The audience, which will sit outside and in accordance with social distancing guidelines, will be limited to 200 people.
1: Sport Now, yesterday's Merseyside derby between Everton and Liverpool was the most watched Premier League game ever on British television. An average of 5 million people saw the golden straw played behind closed doors. Liverpool are now on the verge of clinching their first title in 30 years. Is their boss, Jurgen Klopp.
5: I saw better football games in my life and I saw a lot worse football games. What I saw today was two teams who understand the sense of the derby. There was not one supporter in the stadium and everybody was fighting like crazy. So that's what we had to show first and foremost. I like that.
1: Elsewhere, Chelsea have tightened their grip on a Champions League place and a top four finish with a 2-1 win at Aston Villa. Chelsea are now four points clear of fifth place Manchester United. Here's the winning manager, Frank Lampard.
5: Looking at some of the results uh, of teams around us, we felt like it was a slight opportunity to capitalise on a couple of results. We've missed those opportunities this season too many times, uh, and today we did it, and there were errors in that game that I didn't like, but we have to give also the players a little bit of leeway on this one because they haven't played for a long time, uh, and it is different for everybody, so hopefully we will improve, correct those errors and get even better.
1: Villa remain in the drop zone, the second from bottom, two points from safety. There's been criticism of a tennis tournament organised by the world number one Novak Djokovic, during which two of the world's top players have tested positive for the coronavirus. The Australian Nick Kyrgios, who didn't take part in the exhibition matches in Serbia and Croatia, described the decision to go ahead as boneheaded. Grigor Dimitrov and Borna Cokoric, as well as two coaching staff, have contracted the illness. As the BBC's Alex Kapstick.
5: Lockdown measures have eased in the Balkans, so players have been embracing each other at the end of matches, which were held in front of spectators. There was also close contact during a social game of basketball. There'll be much stricter measures in place at the US Open, which has only recently given the go-ahead to start at the end of August. Novak Djokovic said he would be reluctant to play in New York because of the restrictions. He's also expressed his opposition to using a vaccine if one was available for the virus.
1: Mind of our top stories tonight, the Justice Secretary insists giving the Chief Executive the power to appoint judges to handle national security cases who want to fake judicial independence. The Hong Kong Sanatorium and Hospital is the biggest recipient in the government's job protection scheme so far, and there are at least 30 more imported COVID-19 cases. The news from RTHK.
0: RTHK Radio it's
1: time now to stories covered in this evening's app programme. Hong Kong has recorded its biggest daily increase in the number of COVID-19 cases for over two months, with 30 more people testing positive. All of the new patients had been abroad recently, with almost all of them coming back from Pakistan. Public health expert Dr. Leung Chi Chu from the Hong Kong Medical Association told Anna-Marie Evans that the existing quarantine measures for overseas returnees will help stop the virus from spreading to the local community.
7: The number of important cases uh, will uh, affect the local transmission if we are doing all the quarantine mechanisms uh, well. And uh, of course, uh, if we don't have sufficient facility to quarantine, uh, all these uh, returning uh, persons uh, in quarantine camps or in decimator hotels, uh, that would be a problem.
6: Now, there are some infections that recently involved foreign domestic helpers coming to Hong Kong. Are you worried that some helpers with the infection might not be intercepted at the airport due to fake negative test results?
7: Uh, that is a real concern because uh, uh, all these tests can only detect the presence of the virus uh, in the upper airway at the material time. And if the uh, person is still in uh, his or her incubation period, uh, the test will be negative. And once uh, they are returning uh, to uh, their uh, employer's family, uh, that could be a risk of silent transmission uh, to uh, some of the uh, family members. Uh uh of the employer and then uh, uh, transmission into our local community so uh with the increasing number of um, domestic help uh, coming or returning to Hong kong in the coming few months we need to establish a secure current uh, mechanism to ensure that uh, we can uh, pick up all of these important cases before allowing them uh, to go to uh, our uh, general community uh, in case uh, it, uh, there is any uh, transmission within local families involving domestic helpers uh, that will be an increase of transmission among uh, the domestic helpers community when they meet on Sundays or on public holidays and that may cause uh, substantial uh, outbreak uh, foodies uh, extended Standard level, uh, so that will lead to pay safe, uh, will lead to uh, tightening up all the quarantine arrangements, especially in view of the deteriorating situations uh, of COVID nineteen in many parts of the world uh, now and probably also in the coming few months.
6: Now, now there's a, a new COVID nineteen outbreak in Beijing. Is that a good time for Hong Kong to relax border controls with the mainland?
7: Uh, I I don't think the uh, outbreak uh, in Beijing is uh, of uh, large scale up to this moment. With all the containment methods they are introducing, uh, the uh, transmission may reach uh, which uh, I think uh, turning point very soon, or have already reached the turning point. We are likely to see fewer and fewer cases in the coming two weeks. Uh, The risk of transmission uh, to other provinces uh, should have been contained at this moment. And this should not affect uh, our border arrangement with uh, uh, either Guangdong or Macau. Uh, we need to look at our local situation, and it seems that uh, we don't have any substantial local transmission uh, from the recent outbreak in uh, one of the uh, housing estate. And that uh, is a good sign. And if we don't have any further um, uh, local transmission, uh, we in the coming week, uh, I think it's time to re- it's probably time to revisit the uh, when both uh, our and also uh, our are ready.
1: Hospital visitor restrictions brought in because of the pandemic have now been relaxed in Hong Kong, and there's no longer a blanket ban on people seeing patients. But not everyone has benefited from the move. Wendy Wong talked to one woman who has been prevented from visiting her bedridden husband for almost half a year.
2: One day suddenly I feel that I'm starting to forget him, it's because we haven't seen each other for too long. Uh, I think, okay, if I start to forget him, then he probably has forgotten about us. And actually that is true, because uh, in the video call uh, when his sister, actually his sister visited him very frequently before, when his sister talked to him, um, he, has no, he has no response. And then uh, when we asked about, uh, do you remember you have a son in England? He's, he's, he said no. Uh, and then my, my son, uh, the son in Hong Kong, asked him, okay, do you know who I am? He said no. He shook his head. So, I mean, it's really bad.
6: Miss Chan's daily routine has been disrupted for the past six months by coronavirus, with a ban on hospital visitors stopping her from seeing her husband. He suffered a massive stroke more than two years ago and has been in a hospital bed ever since. She used to visit him every day after work or twice a day if she could. She said simple exercises and constant interaction had helped her husband slowly recover, both physically and mentally. But the situation abruptly changed in January when visitors were banned from hospitals struggling to deal with rising numbers of coronavirus patients. Ms Chan said it was heartbreaking to see her husband isolated from the world. She said with minimal stimulation, his condition has deteriorated. Now he can hardly move or open his eyes, so she can't really communicate with him, even when medical staff arrange a video call.
2: And in a world, there's really minimal stimulation. If he has opened his eyes, he's always looking at the ceiling, and then that's all. So if you put yourself in his shoes, then you would, I guess, uh, everybody will get, you know, a but worse physically and mentally if you were kept in that situation for so many months. Actually, um, during the video uh, the video calls, uh, sometimes actually it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, I would say. Um, um, because I would see that he would cry um, and he's not happy.
6: Miss Chan's husband used to run marathons before his sudden stroke. And in one of their video calls, she asked him if he would like to see the medals he had won. She said he simply shook his head and looked sad, like he didn't want to remember the past. Last week, with the threat from coronavirus receding, the hospital authorities started relaxing the ban on visitors at 16 of his non-acute infirmaries. Each patient was allowed a visit from one family member for one hour each week. But Ms Chan was disappointed to find the hospital her husband is in was not on the list, as it's in the same block as an A&E department of an acute care public hospital. That means she still doesn't know how long she has to wait before she can see him again. She considered transferring her husband to a private hospital where visitors are allowed, but that would cost her up to $70,000 a month. The chairman of Hong Kong Patients Voices, Alex Lam, said he doesn't understand why the rules can't be relaxed further to allow visits to most patients given the current very low prevalence of COVID-19 in Hong Kong. He urged the hospital authority to show more flexibility for the benefit of patients and the loved ones.
3: After a long waiting, uh, after seeing the, uh, the relaxation of uh, the visiting arrangement they are still unable to 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 visit their family members and i hope that the, the hospital authority can make a certain um arrangement or relaxation of this arrangement uh, not because uh, not based on the uh, where they are staying but that uh but based on the 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 personal situation of the family member uh, whether there's a, such a need a strong need to to make a visit by their family members
6: When asked about this, the hospital authorities said the ban on visitors could be ended at other hospitals if the situation allows. But it did not explain what the situation would have to be for this to happen.
1: A plan to charge people to throw away their rubbish is not going to be brought in any time soon after lawmakers ended their discussions on the move, effectively killing off the government's bill. The executive director of Greeners Action, Angus Ho, says the waste charging scheme was first suggested about 15 years ago and it's very disappointing to see progress has stopped. He told Richard Pine that the government should take the bulk of the responsibility for failing to get the bill through the legislature, but lawmakers also deserve blame.
3: I think over the last whole year I cannot see the government doing enough to promote and advocate to the legislative member about the legislation's details and also I cannot see the government has a very high motivation and desperate to promote this bill. And you can see so many different controversial bills is passed in the Ledge Code. So I think the government definitely have the responsibility for this bill being suspended or stop discussion in Ledge Code now.
7: How about lawmakers? Do they also have a responsibility? They do have a election coming up. Maybe they don't want their voters to have to pay for their waste.
3: I think this kind of bills is very important for the future of the Hong Kong and also environment. That's why we have a widely discussed and also have a very wide public consultation over the past years. However. All these kinds of environmental bills is always thinking by some political parties it is affecting their voter and so that they always will be to slow down this kind of movement or the environmental movements. So I think political parties and also member members also have a lot of responsibilities for the future environment being degraded.
7: This scheme was a part of wider efforts to help people reduce the amount of waste they, um, they throw away. How much of an impact do you think that will be on whether Hong Kong can reach its
0: targets?
3: About in 2013, Hong Kong government has made a commitment. About 2022, they will reduce about 40% of the waste in the landfills or the disposed by the peoples. But however, from the data we see uh, last few years, the waste disposed by the people, or we, we call it municipal solid waste, is actually increasing, not decreasing. So that few years ago, we have a big debate in the society about the extension of the landfill and also the increasing or the uh, building up of the incinerator. I will see it will be coming back in few years soon because we are having no progress on the waste reduction which is totally not only disappointed by the green growth but also it cannot parallel to the whole global movement because globally waste reduction is also very important in different other countries, and the whole world is moving forward on the waste reduction but however, we can see the Hong Kong government and also the letCO and and citizens cannot doing the same and also moving backward from the world.
1: Lebanon's economy was already in crisis before the pandemic, but the coronavirus lockdown has squeezed middle class families so much that many can no longer afford their domestic help consequence a clean-out of Ethiopian maids, more than a hundred of whom have been abandoned outside their country's embassy in Beirut. From the Lebanese capital, the BBC's Martin Patience reports.
5: Around 30 Ethiopian women are sitting on the pavement, one of them is lying on the ground in a mattress and they've been dumped by their Lebanese employers outside the embassy. One of the women is 20-year-old Lomi. She's been working in Lebanon for a year and a half as a domestic maid. She tells me she's now been thrown away like rubbish. Lomi says she hasn't been paid her salary in four months but that she no longer cares. She just wants to be able to go home. But beirut airport is closed because of the coronavirus lockdown and even if it was open who would pay for a ticket there are a quarter of a million migrant workers in lebanon and the majority of them are from ethiopia but the country's notorious sponsorship system means these workers have almost no rights
0: this system is a system that enables modern day very in our houses
5: for us is the director of lebanon's anti-racism movement
0: you tell them where to work when to work you can tell them to work at your house and your friends houses your mom's house your sister's house whatever you want and then you can decide not to pay them they could die in your house nobody asks you if you've been paying them if you extended the contract by force la la la. nobody asks you anything and then to top all this in the crisis we're in you can decide you know what i'm done you take this woman. This worker, you drop her at her consulate or on the street, and and that's done. In a normal case scenario, you'd be taken to prison for this, right? Is anybody taken for prison for this in Lebanon? No. So yes, it is modern-day slavery.
5: The Lebanese government says it's doing all it can to help the workers, given the country's economic crisis.
1: Those stories were part of the NewsRap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Robert Kemp from our newsroom... Unlawful or violent acts cannot be condoned.
5: If you see anyone damaging traffic lights, blocking roads, throwing petrol bombs or fighting, please call 999 to report such acts to the police as your situation allows. You may also send a message to the Police Anti-Violence Hotline 5333-3103 or email hotline at police.gov.hk. Live
0: across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments
7: to re- remember. Remember. remember.
3: The moment is now. It's Nostalgia Time with Ray Cudero all the way until 1 a.m. Started the show with "Students' Prince" by, of course, Mantovani. A regular listener now of performer well, Jimmy.